So there's two things I think we can all agree on. Nobody likes goody two-shoes, and nobody likes that person who thinks they are better than everyone else. After the U.S. elections, I posted something on Facebook that was, I didn't think it was controversial. I just thought it was funny. And, um, of course, some people uh, got really angry. Some people got it. Most people got it, particularly if um, they voted a particular way. Other people who voted another way, let's just say, most of them didn't like it. Some of them got it. But, you know, the, the reason why I posted it was because it was the general sentiment in my neighborhood, at least. Um, the day before I had posted that, you know, after Barack Obama won, there was this really positive air, except for the one cross burning in my old neighborhood in New Jersey. There was this, you know, sentiment of like, wow, let's be good to each other. Let's let's be friends. Everybody was you know, really happy. And then this time around, you know, there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of crime. There was, there was a lot of need for uplifting. Um, you know, a lot of my friends of all ethnic persuasions, um, even my German friends. Uh, actually, my, some of my German friends were the most vocal um, in, in terms of being horrified that this could make somebody popular to you know, advance bigotry in, in the way that we've seen in this past election. And so, um, yeah, so I posted this meme and it was politically incorrect, but it was freaking funny. It was just funny. I mean, I would have posted, I don't care who, who won, I would have posted the equivalent if Hillary Clinton won. But I was totally detached from it. Anyway, so this woman comes in on the thread and she starts telling me how I'm the problem. You're just causing more problems. You're making people really upset. <laughs> just really, really whiny stuff. So I go to her Facebook page, which I, you know, never look at because it's usually pretty vapid content. And it's still vapid content. Not, you know, I look back several weeks of her posts and they're all just nonsense. They're, I, I shouldn't say nonsense, but they're, you know, a lot of this like law of attraction, fake stuff, the, the kind of stuff that um, glazes over the fact that we do actually have problems in society and we have things that need addressing. And I think this is a huge problem that we're experiencing, not just, you know, spiritually, but in terms of nutrition, like everybody just wants to sweep under the rug what they don't want to see. Uh, personally, I don't think that's what the law of attraction is about. I don't think that's what love is about. I don't think, you know, that that's what the human experience is about. We, you know, there's going to be ugly things um, that we have to deal with and or express. And a good friend of mine who actually voted for Trump sent me a video of John Cleese where he basically says, look, if, you know, good comedy is, makes you uncomfortable, which is what I was trying to tell this woman. But he also says that when someone is not comfortable expressing their emotion, they try to change others. And that's exactly what she was trying to do. She was trying to change me because you look at her page and you see there's no emotion there. It's just, you know, I'm just going to post all this stuff that feels good and it's going to make me, you know, really spiritual. Um, and this was really apropos because the week before I had just interviewed J.P. Sears, who is uh, the guest you're going to hear today on the show. J.P. Sears, of course, is renowned for his viral videos on being ultra spiritual. I love this guy. He is so down to earth, so wonderful to speak to. And I got to speak to the real him. So, so you guys get to listen in on that. Thank you for being here on the Nutrition Heretic Podcast. Meet Gina. Gina wanted to lose weight, so she spent two years fasting, detoxing, and dabbling with vegan diets while practicing a shit ton of yoga to lose 25 pounds, but it took so long that nobody noticed. 
Then Gina started Frenching her food by eating fatty cheeses, butter, sausages, and red meat, and lost 15 more pounds in only two months. Everybody noticed this time. Frenching your food unlocks the riddle of weight loss that skinny French chicks use to slim down, look young, and live longer despite doing everything wrong. Be like Gina. Start Frenching your food today by visiting nutritionheretic.com forward slash Frenching. Fat is bad for you. I just pop a pill and I'm fine. Meat is murder. <laughs> it's time for bad food punishment. It's time for real nourishment. It's time for the nutrition heretic. The following program is provided as information only and may not be construed as medical or health advice. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any disease. No action or inaction should be taken solely on the basis of the information provided here. Please consult with a licensed healthcare professional or doctor on any matter relating to your health and well-being. So today on uh, on the show, I have someone that we all know and love. I uh, stumbled across him, I guess it was a little over a year ago. As a matter of fact, it was when I was moving into the house where I live now. And somebody said, you got to watch this video on gluten intolerance. And I was immediately in love with my kindred spirit here. Uh, today we have JP Sears with from awakenwithjp.com. And you may know him as your ultra spiritual guru. And uh, what 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 is your the title that you like to use, JP? That's uh, a good question. Depends on what part of me you're talking to. First <laughs> off, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me on, Adrian. And yeah, you know, I think uh, the part of me answering the question right now, I'd say like delusional redhead is probably about the most accurate title. <laughs> Maybe the character part of me likes you know his enlightenedness, ultra spiritual JP. The, okay, that that sounds good. <laughs> his enlightenedness. Um, and, and we might see his enlightenedness during this because it kind of, the spirit kind of takes you over, right? Yeah. And sometimes he's so omnipresent that he's there, but we don't see him. Mm. So sometimes you have to look for what you can't see and maybe he's already there. Okay. So uh, what I really want to know, because like, I really do feel that you're my kindred spirit because, mm. uh, what I have identified over the years is this stri- people striving to be perfect in every area of their lives. I have always attributed it to the decline of popularity in Western religion, namely, you know, Catholicism, Christianity, if you will. I mean, we've, we've definitely got our, our fundamentalist end of it. Um, but there's, there's very few people in the middle who are really committed to saying like, yes, Jesus walked the earth and, and, you know, whatever. So, the way I've always seen it is that there's kind of this decline in conventional, traditional religion, and people are looking f- to replace that with something. I think this is part of human nature. Uh, in some cases, people have gone to Eastern religions, uh, and they, at least in their Western mentality, feel that there's a certain 
set of uh, tenets or behaviors that have to go along with that. And sometimes it just involves talking like this and, and, and very, you know, just sounding like you're bringing peace into the room. Uh, by the way, I know someone who brings nothing but anxiety to a room when she talks like that. <laughs> And uh, I'm not even going to go any further. Let me just say, when everybody I meet has a story about you, you're not that, <laughs> it's not a flattering story. <laughs> you're probably not attaining the goal that you want. But we're also seeing this with the way people eat. And you you touch on that in so many of your videos, uh, the person who's looking for their spiritual perfection through food. Yeah. Um, what's What was your take and what what was kind of the breaking point for you where you're like, enough is enough. You know, we have to really start to analyze where we're headed. At least this is the way I, I perceive your work, where we're headed with this kind of layer of spirituality that we're using to suppress the yeah. feelings underneath. Yeah, I think my breaking point, it, you know, is probably a gradual thing. It wasn't any kind of moment of aha, but maybe like boiling water. I mean, there is a point where now it's boiling, but it took a while to get to that temperature. And I think it was mostly you know, how I got to my breaking point of now, you know, sharing my ultra spiritual perspectives, shining the light on whatever it shines a light on is uh, looking at my life, you know, the, the path I was taking to find myself uh, in a compassionate way. Uh, the more I looked at it, the more I saw that at times, it was also a, a path I was self-righteously losing myself on. So, and I love what you said about, you know, going from religion to spirituality. And sometimes for people, that's a genuine, like, step forward, whatever direction forward is. For other people, it's a, a step to the side that uh, they tell themselves is forward. So it's kind of like, you know, the, you know, applying the same patterns of thinking, the same dogma, just in a new environment but thinking that we're different, but, you know, our eyes are just looking at something new and we're using new words. So it's just kind of like, you know, I personally, I've been through a lot of relationships in my day with women and I've had so many experiences where it's like, oh, this relationship, it's getting old and here's what's wrong with it. So uh, I better leave the relationship. Then the next partner I have, it's the same damn relationship, just a different person, exactly. because apparently wherever I go, there I am. So, <laughs> you know, whatever spirituality, religion, nutrition uh, we go to, there we will be as well. So I, I do find something I'm self-righteous about. Uh, I'm, I'm passionate for the sense of helping myself, but also hopefully helping other people help themselves uh, see the the noble looking hiding places that we as humans hide our judgments and intolerances. Uh, I think there's two types of people in this world, those who are humans and then those who deny the fact that they too are a human being. And it's very human for us to have judgments, very human of us to have intolerances I think ultimately it all folds back to be how parts of us feel about us mm -hmm. when we can project that onto other people. But I think ultimately that's all a relationship we have with ourselves. So nonetheless, here we are humans, lots of judgments, lots of intolerances. And at least I, I feel a, a level of inherent shame about those things. So I don't like to expose them. So guess what I do? I hide them in hiding places that are not only hidden, but they look 
beautiful. They look noble, not scummy and judgmental, but noble. And and enlightened, of course. (laughs) Absolutely. So I think some of those altruistic, noble-looking hiding places that myself and a lot of us have uh, adopted without knowing their hiding places would be spirituality, self-growth, improvement, religion, nutrition, philosophies, all things that when we see groups of people like, oh, they're they're self-righteous, those vegans are bad people. It's like, no, that's not veganism. That's judgment and intolerance. They might call themselves a vegan, but that's not veganism. Right. Uh, so I, I do feel passionate about shining the light in the shadows where we hide pieces of our own psychological self. You know, underneath our judgments and intolerances are parts of us that are hurt. They're afraid. They're ashamed. They feel horrible about themselves. And those parts of us, I think, need connection with the rest of us. They need connection with the mothership of our own self. But the more we hide those judgments, the more we hide the pain underneath them, which is the more we hide the part of us that holds the pain. So I think the the idea of becoming more transparent and vulnerable with our judgments instead of hiding them is really ultimately all about connecting back to ourself. Mm. And, and the, the one thing actually I have to interject here and say is that um, atheists or agnostics, whatever you're calling yourselves these days, you're not off the hook because what I have seen is that people are turning atheism into the new religion. Uh, absolutely. It's another same pattern, just a different environment. Right. And so it's, you know, it's just a different label for the same thing. And, um, and, and I'm going to, you know, call him out. Ricky Gervais has built his empire (laughs) around being an atheist. And, you know, like he can't wait to talk about it. Every, you know, stand up movie, whatever he does. Uh, but he is nonetheless proselytizing as much as the Jehovah's Witness that knocked on my door the other day. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think there's I think we sometimes delude ourselves into thinking that we've moved beyond, uh, a, you know, a certain attachment uh, to uh, what we consider our place in the world and, and, you know, what our duties are to one another, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, how close we are or are not to uh, a God or some other you know spiritual uh, uh, entity that we that we revere. And some people just end up right back in that box. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the messages I'm hearing your wisdom is, you know, the, the old saying that we, we all have heard more times than we can count and we all need to hear it more times than we can count, which is what we don't like about other people is truly what we don't like about ourselves. What we like about other people is what we actually like about ourselves. And, and I can't prove that that's true. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody can. But to me, it just feels beneficial to pretend for a second that that's true. What would that mean about our life? Would it mean we're taking more responsibility for how we experience ourselves, other people, and our world? Or does it mean we're giving our responsibility away in blaming our irritations, our anger, and our fear on other people or the outer world? Or can we take responsibility so I, I asked that kind of a rhetorical question, but of course my answer is yeah, that actually make pretending that what I don't like about other people was is what I don't like about myself. It makes me feel like I have more responsibility, and there's a part of me delusional enough to believe that more respon- more personal responsibility for me, not other people, but for me, that feels empowering. Right. It, it really does. 
Right, right. And uh, for me, uh, I, I, you don't know this about me. I'm a linguist, so I speak a few languages. I've, you know, studied, and you know, oh, that's I can, awesome. I, I barely speak one language. No, so you, you're, you're wonderful at it. But you know, I can go to you know Italy and just like put on some books on tape, and then go there and actually converse with people. But what I notice is is how our how our language uh, it really shapes the way we think, and and it, it really kind of underlies a lot of our personality in many ways. And, and, um, I think the hardest thing for an American learning a foreign language is that we've dumbed down our language to a lot of sound bites. Uh, when I was in like seventh or eighth grade, I remember my French teacher telling me, well, you, you should know what that word means. We have the same word in English. We were like, mm, we don't know <laughs> because we didn't know our own vocabulary. Uh, where I'm going with this is that I think too often, and I see this definitely in nutritional circles, people get hung up on, is this a good food? Oh, that's bad for you. You know, and so, you know, sometimes we need to move beyond those labels of good, bad, right, wrong. And, you know, is it salty? Is it flavorful? Is it bland? Is it, um, does it give me a stomach ache? You know, like those are the questions or, or the, the, um, Eckhart Tolle would say that, you know, words only point to the truth. They are not the truth. Right. So, you know, if that food does something specific for you, then yes, that's, that's acceptable. But to place that judgment of just good and bad and right and wrong really strips it of all its potential things that it can bring to you or not bring to you or so, or for someone else. Yeah. That's another thing is that this is much of this uh, can be subjective, but we, we get too caught up in, and again, the perfection, right and wrong. Yeah. And it's not always, that's not always the case. We have, we have this glorious language with a multitude of adjectives to describe things. And we've, we've, you know, chosen four as, <laughs> <laughs> as the basis for everything. So we can just see everything is black and white, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, to me, uh, I love that perspective there to me, the, the propensity to try to dumb things down, is this right or is this wrong? It, to me, it means we're going after a sense of certainty instead of allowing things to be beautifully ambiguous, allowing there to be possibilities. Instead, we impose limitations and a sense of certainty. And uh, I think a simultaneous caveat to that is we don't have to think. Tell me, is this right or wrong? Is this good or bad? Absolutely. And there's so much space in between, as you were mentioning. And I think that's where the beauty is. The, there's a wonderful friend and teacher of mine where if you ask him a question like, is this good or bad? He'll say yes. And sometimes it's the most irritating thing, but I think it's the most empowering answer. Like, it, yeah, it's it's potentially both. It's like, what meaning do you have uh, to assign to that in this moment? is it's kind of like, is this food good for me or not? It's like, well, what's your biochemistry doing? What day is it? You know, have you worked out today? And your answer might be different next week. So I think one of the things the human ego does the most is try to avoid mystery. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things our spirit is just probably my ego thinking. So take it with a grain of salt. (laughs) But I, my egos thinks, thinks one of the things our spirit uh, does is wants to explore mystery. Uh, there's a quote that I love. I forget who said it and when they said it, it doesn't even matter. But the quote is 
life is a mystery to be experienced. It's not a problem to be solved. It's not mm. a question to be answered. Life is a mystery to be experienced. And I, what I'm hearing with your wisdom is when we, you as a linguist, know that language has the potential to take us out of the zone of our familiar and explore. And language also, if depending on how we use it, has the potential to be a confine, confining, limiting uh, force if we use Absolutely. it in a limiting way. Absolutely. I mean, that's, uh, well, I'm, I don't want to get into politics right now. But <laughs> nobody However, ever gets politics, Adrian, do they? <laughs> But you know, there's when when uh, this is what appeals to a lot of people with certain candidates, um, surprising candidates, <laughs> is that uh, they they like to you know if we can I mean this is the the rise of the Third Reich we can we can put all these people into a box and blame them for all of our social ills and uh, one of the one of the I don't know if it's a bit or what but it, that I talk about on the show is is uh, I call it fat is the new black which is basically that you know we pick on fat people because they are the only the only um uh a group now that we feel comfortable that everybody can go after and you know pigeonhole as as uh being gluttons and you're just lacking in self control and you know just uh, you know, the energy crisis, like everything we blame on fat people right now. Uh, and uh, you know, I'm not saying that people should be morbidly obese, but there's a point where we need to bring people dignity and understand where they're coming from. And personally, I think that m most of the fat people that walk around are victims of poor information about what should be, you know, what constitutes food, even <laughs> let alone, uh, you know, some of the other things, you know, once, once you, you fix the, their identification of food again, is it good or bad? Well, to me, it's like, is it food or not food? You know, there's a lot of stuff people put in their bodies that our grandparents would not have recognized as food substances. I guess where I'm going with this is just, you know, we, like you said, we like these straight lines and there are no straight lines in nature. It's all, you know, it's all meandering and it's, it's just, there is theoretically an end, but there's all these little branches that are going to take you and they're going to give you experiences and they're going to teach you new things along the way. And, and, and help you to kind of refine who you are. So, uh, personally, my, one of my, uh, challenges in what I do is that I've refused to name what I do because once I, I put that box around it and say, you know, this is the, you know, paleo, vegan, macrobiotic, whatever you want to call it, you know, and, and, and that's the other thing is everybody wants to, and this is what, what I love about you. Everybody, you, you so tap into the fact that no matter how much vegan you can be there's always one guy who's got to push it a little further you know there's that one guy who's like i only eat fruit and then there's another guy who's like i only drink liquid and then there's another guy who says i only breathe air i don't yeah, even need absolutely. food you know so there's always this this you know thing uh about humans where we've got to we want to we want sameness and radically different at the same time yeah you know, I need to wear everything just like my friends. My friends are wearing it. Why can't I wear it? I can't wear that. She's wearing that. <laughs> you know, <so. laughs> Absolutely. You know, and the and the radically different note, and I, uh, also a note of you mentioned you you refuse to label what you do. Um, I, I'm sure I I'm guilty of putting a lot of labels on myself. 
However, I'm also, I enjoy when I notice what would otherwise maybe previously have been just a blind hypnotic trance where I walk into a box uh, without even knowing it. So when I put out videos like, you know, meat eaters, if meat eaters acted like vegans, uh, videos like that, I'll get a lot of messages. JP, are you a vegan? And I'll write back and say, I'm Caucasian. It's like, <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> or, or the, the JP, are you a Christian? I'm like, no, I'm Caucasian. Um, uh, or no, I'm a human. So it's kind of like the, and part of that is me being a smart ass and I need to be mature, more mature. And no, part of it is, I think, a place of very much maturity where I recognize a label that someone someone wants to understand me without understanding me. Yeah. They're like, all I want to understand is if you're a, a Christian. And if you are, I have this whole story ready to go. Yeah that I've made up about who you are it has nothing to do with you, but I think it does. So the idea of not consenting to making someone's life easier by allowing them to um, essentially delude themselves about me or anything else um, is important. And also at the same time, I don't want to misrepresent myself by saying, no, I'm this category, that one. So I give just an absolute 90 degree category that they didn't expect like, this not a vegan i'm a human yeah yeah well i mean and this is this is a message i've been i've been saying for years which is that you know we have again this is go goes back to the first comment i believe i made which was uh that people are you know they've they've many people today feel that you know they're so much more enlightened that they don't believe in god anymore but now they need something to grab onto right so they so they they have turned the diet into the new religion for a lot of people, you know, sure. so because I don't believe there was a time in history where people identified themselves as their diet. Yeah, that, that it's a it's a really kind of creepy thing <laughs> when you really start to think about it's like, really, you are your diet like, no, you know, so people say, well, what are you are you are you primal or you paleo or whatever? I'm like, I try to follow the traditions of my ancestors and of what humans have eaten since the beginning of time. I know that I fall short. So how can I put a label on it when I know that, you know, I might go out and have ultimate burger tomorrow <laughs> or, you know, just something. something well, God that forbid you do something unpredictable, Adrian, <laughs> that would cause people to actually have to be present with you and observe you rather than going by the bias they learned about you last month. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. It's very mean of you. I know it sucks. And, you know, well, you know, call me a bitch. <laughs> what can <I> say? <laughs> you know, there's something interesting. There was a book I read years ago called, uh, it's called influence by Robert Cialdini. Yeah. So in the book, he, he points out something about human psychology that eh, seemed true when I read it, which is we have this inherent reaction of trying to avoid coming across as inconsistent. Yes. Meaning we we impose this huge limitation where we don't let ourselves change our mind because we don't want to be express ourselves as inconsistent to other people because we have this fear that we'll be judged to be unstable. And man, is there anything more unstable than becoming rigid and not allowing ourselves to change? So I, 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 while that's a part of human psychology, I think it's a very much a self-preservation reaction part of our psychology. I don't think it really serves us to 
be under that trance of like, I have to be consistent. So the idea like, yeah, maybe you're eating mostly plants most of the time. And then you like, you betray that modus operandi by going out and eating a burger. Like, that's great. But uh, you won't fit into a predictable, consistent box in your mind or other people's minds. Uh, It means you have to create a new story about who you are and then other people or your Adrian, like, uh, I don't have a reference point. Like, she's mostly vegan, but just ate a burger. So it causes people to have to be present with you and not see you through their story, but I think more see you. So, yeah, you know, spontaneity, I think it's the fountain of youth. And I think predictability is the drought that dries up the fountain of youth of spontaneity. Right. Well, I think also when you position yourself or, you know, you put yourself out in public as someone who can help other people with something. And yes, there's one of my pet peeves is the school in New York, IIN, um, you know, Institute for Integrative Nutrition. And and uh, when they first started, uh, I think I came across them. They were in their infancy, maybe two, three years in existence. And I was at the doctor's office and I opened up the the magazine that their you know, little uh, catalog and it says, we will train you in any of these 300 diets that you want to, you know, be. And, and apparently they've changed their, their way of uh, working now. But I remember thinking like, how do we, intellectually override our biology and biochemistry to adapt to the cookie diet, you know, like, like when, yeah. you know, where isn't do we, that, isn't that frightening? It's, it's very frightening. And yeah, because I come from the, the school of Chinese dietetics in, in part, I look at diet as a very cyclical thing and, and cyclical, not only from, uh, you know, birth to, in my case, menopause, uh, but also in terms of, um, times of year, like even here in Hawaii, you know, we have seasons, there's, you know, guavas are falling right now. You know, maybe that's the time to eat guavas. I, my avocados will be ready in a month. You know, those types of things that, that I know are, are going to be cyclical, you know, ahi runs down at the ocean now, uh, versus something else that runs in the, in the summer. So I think, I think what's missing from a lot of the conversation is that theoretically many of these diets, you know, vegan or, or what have you, paleo can work, but you get to a point where you're just doing it consistently, consistently, consistently uh, for 18, 24 months. And your body's like, well, you know, everything else around you changed. Like, how come you're not changing? And so, we need to start respecting that more, I think, is, is really what it is. We need to understand, again, there's no straight lines. You know, it's really just through the grace of refrigeration we can do that kind of stuff <laughs> and freezing, right? Um, so, you know, maybe we need to tune in a little bit more to uh, just being more in tune with, you know, it's a cold day outside. I might want a beef stew for lunch today, yeah. you know, but when it's really hot, I might just want a salad. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I- it is interesting that the day and age we live in, just to sound like some 3,000-year-old <laughs> man, where we do have many options for food because of you know, air transport and refrigeration. And, and I think that our minds can really screw with that. I don't think our nutrient needs are determined by our mind. I think they're determined by our body, which is incredibly uh, integrated with our environment, the weather, where we're at in life. And, and I think one of the dangers is 
eating according to it's kind of like eating according to the pledge of allegiance that we make in order to belong to a group as well as eating according to what makes the most logical sense to us because i again i don't think the mind is powerful enough to determine our nutrient needs based on what we want to be true for us. I think if we use, kind of like Einstein said, the intuitive mind is a sacred gift and the rational mind is a faithful servant. If we use the servant of our mind to make kind of like more observations, like let me notice with my mind how I feel right now. Uh, Do I feel a craving towards something thick and hot? Uh, or let me feel, use my mind to notice how I feel after I just ate that. Does that give me hindsight information of that was pretty good for me? Or is my energy low and I feel that? So again, I think our mind can help notice our nutrient needs, but I don't think it really determines our nutrient needs. I, sorry, you continue. <laughs> I do yeah, have a comment about that. Yeah, yeah. so anyway, that's... I think one of the dangers of any book written on nutrition, which, by the way, I'm so grateful books are written on nutrition. I don't mean to sound right, like right, a right. book <laughs> throw the nutrition books on the fire. But one of the dangers about nutrition books is most of them are written with a lot of logic and rational, essentially rational arguments for why this philosophy is true. So that can kind of, we can then convince ourselves, well, this makes a lot of sense to eat this way, but that doesn't mean that it's our way of eating right then, just because it makes sense to our mind. Absolutely. And I got two things I got to say, and, and God help me if I can remember the second one after I say the first one. So, but the, the one thing I was just talking to my friend about this morning, because uh, through doing the podcast, I'm meeting a lot of people. A lot of people are sending me their books and I'm reading their books. And I'm realizing that many of them who are coming down to um, a dietary model that looks very much like our food pyramid, uh, they are not clinicians. They are PhDs. Uh, and they're sitting behind a desk or in the lab and they're reviewing studies, right? So they're just reviewing stuff and they've, they got citation after citation after citation. And granted, yes, I know that when I help somebody and I'm working with someone, that's an anecdote. But if it gets results, that anecdote is worth mentioning. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So. What's happening is that a lot of these studies, when they're when they're saying like, oh, you know, goji berries have just as much protein as a pound of beef, and you know, uh, <laughs> but what they're doing is they're they're taking the goji berries or, or the kale or whatever it is, and they're they're you know subjecting it to a, a highly chemicalized process that does not happen in the human body. So so theoretically, yes, there's all this stuff in those foods. Can we extract it? You know, can our can our bodies actually use it in in a predictable way based on those studies? And that's where the art of being some kind of you know the alternative healer practitioner, what have you, uh, and 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 really learning from your patient base, your client base. Uh, that's where the that's where the art comes in. And and unfortunately, what I see a lot of people basing these choices on again, they're they're from studies which are in a vacuum. It's sort of like when uh, Dick Cheney went on the canned hunt with his friend and shot him in the face. Uh, <laughs> well, did you see what his friend looked like? <laughs> well, you know, they were going after birds. That's all I'm going to say. Um, so, but you know, the, the, um, oh, shucks, I did remember what I was going to say. Studies. Yeah, and it was shooting his friend. Yeah, Dick Cheney shooting his friend. That's what threw me off. Uh, We'll get back to it. But (laughs) 
This is what happens to me. I have I have too many ideas going through my head, but <laughs> yeah, it's a good problem to have. I think. Uh, well, it's it's a lot of noise, and, and uh, that's that's my my big uh, problem is the the noise in my head, constantly telling me what to do. And I think this is what a lot of us face uh, is that we're we're um, we're trying to answer the call all the time, no matter where it's coming from. Yeah, you know, that definitely hits a nerve for me. Like, will we make the noise in our head go away? Like, eh, I don't know. It's maybe it gets a little quieter, sometimes louder. But do we become the servant to the voice in our head, the, you know, the always got to do this, got to do that? And I, I know I, I fall into that trap sometimes, maybe more than sometimes. And it's like, you know, when it comes to doing this, enough is never enough to satisfy the the voice in my head. Um, however, I find a little more peace when I can do my best to notice the voice and not become a slave to it. Mm-hmm. Easier said than done because the voice can then sharpen its critical edge right. uh, to try to motivate me to obey it. And it's it's interesting how that can actually be a little bit of a sapper, at least for me, of the quality of life when I, uh, yeah, essentially become the slave of my thoughts. Right, right, right. Uh, And I did remember what I was going to say, and it had to do with something else. (laughs) I just did it again to myself. Oh, my God. Okay, um, just breathe. (laughs) So you go after, uh, uh, well, I shouldn't say go after, but you you give examples in a lot of areas of our lives. You talk about selfies and organics and politics uh, and and just uh, the, the guru. I saw your Tony Robbins the other day. What about animal rights people? Do you, do you have something on them? Because I, I, I'm seeing this a, a lot. You know, this kind of, I call it the fake animal rights activist who has way too many animals than they can take care of in a loving manner. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I do know what you're talking about. And and I don't have anything on animal uh, rights activists. And, and I probably won't do anything on it. Um, because I, I don't, first off, I don't, I don't feel called to it. Right. Though I, there is fodder there. And at the same time, you know, I think, a, yeah, it would feel a little bit like a line that I wouldn't know how to dance mm. with regard to uh, the last thing I'd want to ever do is come across like I'm against animals. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, shining a light on interesting human behavior uh, that's harbored by people who are maybe a little obsessive about controlling animals um, in the name of animal rights. Yeah, I apologize for the trucks driving by. That's okay. Uh, like it's my fault. Like yeah. Sure <laughs> Close the window, will you? <laughs> So yeah, long story short, probably won't be anything on animal rights coming after me, other than just sincerely supporting animal rights causes. Right. Sometimes I think I like animals more than people. I, I, there's a lot of that, and I think that's I think that's what drives a lot of people is that they're they're uh, perhaps even avoiding some of their human relationships in favor of animal relationships. Uh, Absolutely, I think I do that with my dog. <laughs> guilty, both hands raised. <laughs> Okay, so I do remember what I was going to say, and it had to do with the fact that I do believe we were talking about the the mind overriding what our biology is. And what I do believe, actually, is that our 
should we choose certain types of diet, uh, particularly ones that, that say deny an entire food group? I do believe they are possible and maybe even necessary sometimes if it matches the lifestyle. So, you know, if somebody, you you know, if you're raw food vegan and you, you know, you just, you know, sit deep breathing all day and that's your job, you know, basically you're a monk, (laughs) then, you know, it might work. You know, I I think, I think, I think certain um, ways of eating can be uh, conducive to certain lifestyle choices, but I do believe that when we start to run in, in, into problems is where those two collide, you know, they conflict with one another. So, you know, you're, you have this very demanding lifestyle. You, you know, you're living in like downtown Tokyo and the lights are flashing and all this stuff and yeah. people moving and to, to try and stay in that, that very centered, you know, uh, just, you know, eating grains and berries, like it may, may not fly, <laughs> but. <laughs> I, I love that. And uh, I found funny contrast came to my mind as you were mentioning, like, okay, the raw food person doing nothing but like meditating and breathing all day. So very little catabolic activity mm-hmm. versus like a hardcore CrossFitter doing like four hours of CrossFit a day type of other stuff. Like, yeah, those are very different lifestyles. Uh, it, it, to me, it's a, a beautiful consideration it's kind of like what, yeah. What does my body need based on what I'm doing to it and what I'm not doing it, uh, doing to it? Right. I think is a very beautiful consideration, and I love your thought on the, the seasons as well, and your thought on the the ancestors as a consideration. <laughs> and I love the thought on like also <laughs> not thinking about those things and and going by the feel, mm-hmm. you know, which I think the feelings is kind of like. It almost like summarizes all those thoughts into this. I think the most sophisticated language we can ever speak, which is the feeling language. It's not like a linguistic language, but I think it's Carl Jung called our feelings, the language of our soul. Mm -hmm. So I think it's kind of like, yeah, our our soul is telling us what food is going to be soul food for us. Right, right. How How do you think the average person can connect with that? I'm big on body sensations in developing a basic relationship with our body sensations. You know, I find that many times, most days, I'll ask people, especially during client sessions, uh, how are you feeling? And almost always is, well, I think this. So yeah, this thinking is not a feeling. Uh, or I, I feel that what happened is this, this, and this. I, well, that's an analysis. That's not a feeling. It's very, uh, we, I get very out of touch with my feelings. And I'm not even talking about emotions. I'm talking more primal than that. Body sensations, tightness, tingling, uh, uh, coolness, hotness, uh, like whatever the sensations are, I think those are what those are the the basic foundation of um, the intimate connection we have with our body, and I think it, we can all benefit by getting more in touch with that. And I think an easy way to do it is you sit down for one minute and notice one feeling in your body and stick with the damn thing for one minute. Keep breathing. <laughs> And one way that we try to deflect from that feeling is by noticing all the other feelings. Yeah. But when we do that, 
we're escaping the intimacy with that fear. So instead of like all thousand feelings that are going right, yes, you have a sophisticated nervous system, get it, it's capable of a lot. What is one feeling? Mm -hmm. Like right now I feel tingling in my left shoulder and arm and I just sit with that. So to me, it's training connectivity. Just like if someone wants to get strong in the gym, typically they'll enter the gym and they're, they're nothing more than average strength at best. They might bench press, whatever, 120 pounds. But if they want to learn to bench press 300, it takes a lot of practice of strengthening. So to me, the strengthening, the connection we have with ourself uh, takes consistency. And uh, trying to start off in this grandiose giant leap of, well, let me connect with a feeling of pure bliss and ecstasy. Like, holy <laughs> hell, good luck at that. <laughs> Unless you're on uh, all the psychedelics within arm's reach, uh, that's maybe a way of bypassing your humanness. But I think the truly, uh, I say truly, like it'll make it more true. Yeah, I was going to say. You... <laughs> this makes me more self-righteous trying to brainwash people into believing what I think. So no, truly. Yeah, well, you our, know, it's, it our, goes without saying. <laughs> our spiritual connection is perhaps paradoxically found through the mundane doorways of our humanness. These simple things called feelings. Uh, what kind of sensations do I have in my body? So first and foremost, I think connection to body sensations is where we can make huge, huge strides. And it's funny, in our society, as I understand it, very rarely do we have an education on feelings. Uh, we have, I mean, years worth of education on logical processes, which is great. Actually, I don't know if it's great. Um, a lot of probably controversy about that. Uh, there's, you're always going to piss off someone. Don't you know that? It's not some, some, some asshole. I'm sorry, but <laughs> it's going to come out as we speak spiritually. Some uh, asshole is going to come out of the woodwork and say that you are wrong. <laughs> I've got the exception to the rule. <laughs> I know. It is funny. Try not to piss people off. We'll piss some people off too. It's like, oh, you mean too delicate. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so it's like we get all this left brain logical education, but no right brain feeling-oriented education. I mean, granted, some of that comes when we're exposed to the arts, and even that can be pretty limited. <laughs> you know, absolutely. Or that, that can act, and I, I do believe there's a legitimate uh, potential for connection there. And sometimes the great feeling people get when they're high comes out of the, a sense of euphoria out of escaping themselves rather than a, a sense of uh, euphoria, if you will, through connecting to themselves is very different. Mm -hmm. um, that's why when people self-medicate, it always feels good short term. So nonetheless, I don't want to vilify or herofy mm -hmm. pot, uh, but I think it has potential either way. So nonetheless, for the feeling-oriented education that most of us never got, uh, I think there's a token of self-responsibility that says nobody's going to give it to us unless we do. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's the beautiful thing because we absolutely can give ourselves an education on increasing our EQ, our emotional quotient, and our uh, feeling intelligence. That's that's uh, very uplifting. 
you know, it's because I think, I think, no, seriously, I think that, that a lot of people get to a point where, you know, this isn't working because you meet the, the, the people who are really trying so hard to be spiritual and they get the gear and they're going to the classes and they're on every retreat, but their life is a shambles, you know, <laughs> and, and, and they're, and, and in that, that in, in and of itself kind of, kind of demonstrates that maybe we're, we're looking at this from the wrong angle, but you give us a way to kind of, to come back to this, you know, what is your feeling? And it's not about denying, it's actually about accepting. And, and like you said before, you know, there's, um, that, that, that life is, is a journey. It's not, it's not something with a definite plan laid out. You know, you, you have to experience it, you know, as opposed to channel it, (laughs) so to speak. And I think it's kind of funny, and I do think it is funny, even though I said the word funny in a not very funny way, that um, as you mentioned uh, earlier about, like, in nature, nothing is straight. It's all wiggly lines. I was looking at a tree out in my backyard earlier today. There's just no straight lines on it. It's all wiggly. So I think it's funny how the life that we try to live is always neat and tidy. Essentially, our imagination uh, creates these straight lines, black and white, uh, senses of certainty for us to live by. However, that's that's an alternate reality in our imagination. And it's a beautiful imagination. Our imagination's awesome. However, our kind of connection to thyself when we think our imagination is our reality is questionable at best. Yet embracing nature's wisdom that says it's all wiggly lines, there's no straight lines, I think gives us more permission to live our life authentically, which means we accept it'll be messy. Things won't work out exactly the way I think they will. Uh, There will be pain at times. There will be surprises at times. There will be unexpected joy at times. Uh, there will be a loss of control at times. That's the messiness of life. Mm-hmm. It really is. And some would say that's the beauty of life. When we're missing a, a, our quality of life, I would dare say we're trying to control our life too damn much. And I think the Zen people might just tell us the only thing we really can control is our ability to surrender the need to control so I think when we think we're in control of life, we're just really disconnected from what's really going on and pacifying ourselves with the imagination that says I'm in control. But, um, you're, what you're making me think of is children. Uh, uh, and do you have children? I don't. None, 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 none that, you that know I'm of. aware of. Uh, none that I pay trials <laughs> Well, yeah, for I think you, because uh, you said something about a lot of women, right? <laughs> a lot of relationships. Well, you, you do the math and stuff. <laughs> I'm like, oh, all these red hair kids with ponytails. What's going on? Uh, so, <laughs> um, but uh, with, with children today, do you see that we are improving that dialogue with them or are we sheltering them too much from that? that pain uh because i see a, a lot of the latter but maybe i'm just not tuned in enough to uh to the former yeah i don't know if i'm tuned in enough to have much opinion about that um i i think i'm convoluted enough i could see i could see it for both uh, sides. each side of it 
Yet I will say something about kids, whether on the whole it's getting more embracing of sort of the beautiful messiness that is the mysteries of our life or more like sheltered about that. I, I think the true nature of children, something that shines through either way, like when I'm around my nieces and nephews, they're ages, I think, uh, four, six and seven. They're just messy. And, and they're not like abnormally messy for kids, but they've got crap on their face. And, <laughs> you know, when they get stuff, crayons and stuff out, coloring on the table, like they're going to fall off the table. Some gets on the table and, you know, there's marks on the walls because they're freaking kids. Like they right. walk in the house, there's maybe still some mud on their feet. And that's beautiful. But I noticed my reaction to that, like, oh, like, uh, if, <laughs> if that was my house, I don't know. And I think what that really symbolically teaches me is, like, when I uh, do that, like, that cringe feeling when yeah. they're getting, like, messy or getting, like, ketchup on their elbows, then that's really teaching me, I think, my, I would say, how repulsed parts of me are about letting go of control in my life about my defense mechanism towards the wiggly lines in some areas of my life. Cause it's like the ketchup on the elbow that's literal, but what's that symbolic mirror teach me about me? It's like, okay, well my cringe, that's not generated by the ketchup on the elbow. That's generated by my human heart. And what is it about me that my heart is feeling and I would dare say it's my fear of losing control mm -hmm. I'm sure about certain elements of my life mm -hmm. uh, even though I'm speaking in generalities so anyway uh, I guess that turned out to be less about children and more about me <laughs> which is which is fine I mean that's yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> No, but it is, it is the same thing. And, and, um, I definitely see that with me. Uh, you know, my, my kids are, are probably my greatest teachers about who I am, uh, because it, it really does change your perspective on everything and that, you know, what is this life about? What are we here for? And it's, you kind of, you know, they're born and you're like, what the heck? But then you're like, oh, okay, I kind of get it. <laughs> I think this is, you know, this is not necessarily my purpose, but it, it just it, it reflects back to you so much of of what how far you've come, and then you realize, oh my gosh, like you know, now I see why people do this. You you, you have a totally different appreciation for it. Um, you know, messes aside, uh, and you know, I'm picturing the the uh, space party we had for my daughter where I made moon pies, and and then we ended up having to have it indoors, so there was just chocolate on hands on walls <laughs> after that, uh, but. Um, which is, uh, the, the other side of, of trying to create this utopian childhood. Uh, and there's, there, I see this a lot where, uh, many parents, you know, well, we don't do that. We don't spank and we don't do this. And, you know, our kids, we don't yell at my child because he, you know, threw a dart at your child or, or whatever, you know, like, it's, it's just, but seriously, sure. you, know, you stab my child <laughs> in the leg. Don't yell at my child. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so, you know, are we are we sheltering them from from pain? You know, are we not teaching our children? Is what I'm always asking. Are we just not like what what's going to happen to these kids? Because kids are coming from India and you know Japan or wherever, and they're getting a totally different disciplinary system. And then we complain that they take our jobs, and it's like, well, you didn't exactly raise your child to have an interest in anything 
or to understand disappointment is really the big one or being given instruction and having to follow that, you know, what, what, what's going on? Overcoming adversity, working through pain. It's like just having the weakest immune system because your immune system's never been exposed to any kind of challenges. And that can be absolutely deadly to have a weak immune system that's never been stimulated. That's why they um, apparently children who are raised on farms, you know, always dirty, hands in poop, those children have stronger immune systems because their immune system has had to overcome more challenges. Uh, there's a uh, some kind of proverb that says smooth water makes lousy sailors. And in the balance. What is the balance? Be you know the utopia child childhood that makes the parents comfortable, but is essentially abusive to the children because it shields them so much. Right. It's like we can only become as strong as we are challenged. It's a it's a rule. I was capital R. <laughs> I mean, that's how our bodies get stronger, and I I think our psyche is the same. You know, versus the other side of obviously uh, abuse, straight up, I mean, what we call traditional abuse, though that is a deep seed, if though it can take years to recover from that trauma, and it can become the greatest source of strength in that adult's life who was once the abused child, and that some never get over it. But nonetheless, without going to the other extreme of being neglectful of or abuseful of children, what is that middle ground that is appropriately unsheltering of children at the same time protecting of children challenges come in and nurturing is there too i have no idea uh i really don't Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's tough because i have no idea i should probably write a book about it no there you go here's what the research says kids need to be fed food so do that yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's when you said that uh, the thing about the kids eating dirt, uh, I just interviewed someone who wrote a, bu- a book about it. And again, I mean, I'm not saying that what he was saying is wrong, but he's kind of he's a researcher. He's not actually working with the kids. So, you know, again, you're you're looking at the data and yes, you can draw certain conclusions, but is your rationale necessarily uh, for why that is? Uh, does, does that always match up with the reality? You know, are there other are we are we missing some other human element, some other thing that's going on? Uh, and he does talk about the uh, microbiota in the soil and, you know, these things. And I, I raise chickens. I'm, I keep telling everybody uh, <laughs> I do this thing that's it's big on the island. It's called Korean natural farming. And it works by uh, propagating the uh, essentially the probiotics. Uh, the fungi that are naturally in the soil and using those to strengthen the plant, the crops that you want to grow, uh, because that's actually what is is uh, feeding the, the weeds that are outpacing your plants. But so we're, mm-hmm. we're moving that micro microbiota to the pl- to the plants that we want and, you know, and not necessarily starving the weeds, because what I love about the system and it's, uh, it does feed into what we're talking about, which is that uh, it it works on a. um and understanding that we're not trying to defeat the weeds mm. and that the weeds actually serve a purpose in holding water in the soil and providing shade. And so, you know, there's, so it's a really lovely symbiotic understanding of nature where you don't rely on soil tests and, you know, 
this pH this and whatever, you're understanding, oh, yellow leaves. Well, let's see, we put a lot of nitrogen on that. Maybe it needs calcium now or, or what have you. Uh, so, um, it's, uh, I really love to use that as a, as a mirror for a lot of other things in life because it really does show that we don't need to eradicate one thing to become another. You know, sometimes Ooh, those, it's I those, like those little reminders that we have that can fuel us and, and feed us more towards the direction. You know, they're, they're clues. They give us that insight, like, ah, you know, the, the, like you talked about with the kids, you know, like, oh, they're messy, they're ketchup on their elbow. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. And, but you, you are intelligent enough to recognize that as feedback for some other element of your personality that yeah. you maybe you don't recognize on a daily basis. Oh, well, thank you for seeing that as an intelligent uh, aspect of me. <laughs> well, so I, think, I, I, I do appreciate that. No, but seriously, you're aware. Like you're clearly aware of yourself and you, you know, many people will look at that and they'll, and they'll be like, it's those kids, damn it. You know, those meddling kids, but you take it a step further, which I think a lot of us are not able to, especially when we're in the situation, we, we're not able to see that as a reflection of not necessarily something we need to change, but just something that is a part of us. Mm. Right. Yeah. Um, now, what's your you have a you have a background as a Czech practitioner? I do, and also at the same time, uh, Adrian, probably a, a graceful part of this uh, discussion. In just a second, I, I will have to hop off. I've oh, yeah, got yeah. A, a client appointment at the oh, top oh, okay. of the hour. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, but yeah, uh, background um, as a Czech practitioner. I started studying uh, with the Czech Institute when I was twenty years old. No, I'm sorry, 18. Wow. Maybe 19, but right about there. And um, yeah, and then, you know, went through their their programs. And then I taught for the Czech Institute for seven years up until uh, 2013. And do you still use that in your work or are you focused solely on the spiritual side? Yeah, <clears throat> uh, focused solely on the spiritual slash emotional side, which I think is the same thing, just two different words. Uh, but yeah, the the work is, as far as helping people with exercise and nutrition through the Czech practitioner stuff is beautiful stuff. I very much value it. However, it's you know it was necessary breadcrumb, gluten free breadcrumb on my uh, <laughs> trail to get me where I'm supposed to be at least right now. Anyway, yeah. So it it's doesn't you know the passions of my heart isn't really fueled by that type of work anymore. Oh, no okay. one's was. Right, right, right. Actually, that brings me to a, a question from one of our, our followers, Julia Stuber. Uh, and she wants to know that she said that it was mentioned in some of the celiac groups that you are gluten intolerant. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, people were divided if it was funny or not. She thought it was hilarious. And, and she is gluten intolerant. She's celiac. Uh, so you're, you're celiac, gluten intolerant. Where, where do you fall on that? Yeah, uh, right in the middle. So I'm gluten intolerant. I've been gluten in, probably gluten intolerant my whole life, but I've been gluten free for about 14 years. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so when you decided to poke fun at, I'll let you go, but <laughs> when you decided to kind of poke fun at, at some of the, the, um, uh, dialogue around that and and the mantras let's say that that people use and 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 you're not poking fun at people who are gluten intolerant you're poking uh, my understanding is you're poking fun at the people who want to be gluten intolerant the people who are like i feel left out of the party <laughs> come on it, you know uh, <laughs> i would almost say my intention was neither 
it, okay. it's it's shining a light on behavior that both want to be like I want to be intolerant so I can be trendy too as well as some people who are like just super intolerant and they it's like their health is significantly better when they avoid gluten yet they can still have common behavior uh, what we were talking about earlier with you know self-righteous behavior that actually creates separation between them and other people as opposed to being a person who doesn't eat gluten and if someone doesn't provide for us according to our rigid standards, then we don't need to string them up uh, into the guillotine. Uh, we don't have to separate ourselves from other people. We don't have to have these, you know, what I would call almost, um, you know, expectations from the mind of a child that says uh, the world should cater to me. So I, I do think, so the behaviors I was portraying, I think, are how we can bleed out our self-responsibility, which I think is ultimately disempowering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because uh, as I mentioned this joker earlier, uh, she she comes over to my house all the time and she's like, well, you know, I'm gluten free and, I, and I'm, uh, you know, lactose toast intolerant and I'm vegan and I'm doing this and that. And she always expects everyone to, to provide for her. But damn it, if I had a birthday party here over the weekend and somebody brought a baguette and cheese and she was chowing down on it, I'm like, you know, like <laughs> stop telling people that, you know, to provide for you if you cannot provide for yourself. <laughs> but um, both Julia and, and one other uh, follower, Mike Jasandi, they want to know, how do you keep a straight face? How do you stay in character? To sound like a cliche artist, it's like being true to the art. It's like when I'm saying things in character, they're amusing to me, but they're not funny to me. And I'm guessing the reason why they're not funny to me while I'm saying them is because like I'm, I'm just really connected to the, I don't know, the message rather than, you know, really observing it. So it's like, yes, I'm amused. So there's some observance, but it's like more I'm being the character. So um, I'm not really able to see the hilarity of it, uh, right. if there is hilarity in it. There's a convoluted answer for you. <laughs> well, I think I understand. I, I took an acting class once, uh, and it was it was uh, the gist of it was acting through reacting. So uh, you know, as a, as opposed to going up there with your script and then and you know maybe more of an improv type thing. It's really okay. What happens and what would this character do in that situation? And it I think it removes for you at least temporarily that analysis of whether or not it's going to be funny. It's just this is where this is the mindset of the character. So you just understand your character yeah. well. I would think. Yeah, it's like it, absolutely. It might be funny to other people, but it's not funny to the character. Right. Exactly. And it's and and. And any comedy, I would think, to, to some extent, is not really – nobody wants to see someone laugh at their own jokes, right? So, yeah. so you know, they, they're taking it seriously, and that's often what makes it so funny. Yeah. Amen to that. So, um, in any case, I know you have to go. I know you've got uh, people waiting for you, and you could charge thousands and thousands of dollars for what you do, but you're actually really reasonable, I was looking on your website and I was like, why is he not like the gurus charging $6,000 for two sessions? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe I'm just not enlightened enough. But to me, it's it's important to stay accessible to uh, people uh, who don't just own private jets. Yes, 
Yes, exactly. Well, I've got a whole system for you and it only costs you $2,000 and I can show you how to rape people for all the money that they have and still service the little people. <laughs> yeah, well, it sounds very giving. <laughs> Boy, Adrian, it has been absolutely beautiful talking with you. Stay to me, here. you are wonderful. And I can't thank you enough for having me on your show, sister. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, we're going to have to have you down to the big island and then you come to my studio and uh, <laughs> we'll do something else. Or, you know, if you do a retreat or something down here, I'd love to connect with you and have you over. I would love for the stars to align for that. That would be awesome. 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 It's not as expensive as you think. Okay. So this has been JP Sears uh, from awakenwithjp.com. You can find him on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter, all at Awaken with JP. Thank you so much for being our guest heretic uh, for the week. And uh, we will uh, hopefully see you around and, and let us know when your, your book is coming out soon, right? Yeah, it's available for pre-order now on Amazon, yeah. How to Be Ultra Spiritual. Official release is uh, into 2017. So, but yeah, it's available now uh, if people want me to manipulate them into buying it right now. Okay, we'll just stare them down with those beautiful blue eyes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank, thank you so you. much for being so gracious with your time and uh, have a fantastic day and happy Halloween. Thank you. Already. Okay. Bye bye. Thanks. The Nutrition Heretic Podcast is a production of Savor the Journey LLC. Our audio editor is Nikola Popovich. Our podcast manager is Crystal McLean, and our operations manager is Linda Hansen. I'm your host, Adrian Hugh, the Nutrition Heretic. You can find us at nutritionheretic.com where you can download the Nutrition Heretic's free shit list of seven health foods to avoid like the plague. You can also listen to previous episodes at nutritionheretic.com slash podcast. Be sure to like us on social media for updates. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash nutritionheretic and on Twitter at NutriHeretic. Contact us with show ideas, questions, or if you just want to be a guest. And don't forget to rate our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Thanks.